So my title for you today is Lessons for Dads to Remember and Teach. To begin, let me, be, let me uh, begin by saying this. Deuteronomy chapter 11 is the conclusion of the second chapter or section of Deuteronomy. I've already made two mistakes. I'm going to start over. My title for you today, okay, we're in Deuteronomy chapter 11, and Deuteronomy chapter 11 is the conclusion of the second section of Deuteronomy. The first section is chapters one through four. The second section begins with Deuteronomy chapter five with the Ten Commandments. You may remember that. We spent 12 weeks on it, and concludes with chapter 11, verse 32. Thank you very much. It's Father's Day. You got to give me a little latitude. The focus of this section is covenant, law, obedience, and I dare say faith because, hear me now, God's people must believe in the God who delivered them from their history if they're going to live with that God in the present and the future. Some of you who are here today, that's all you need to hear. If you want to have a relationship with God, he can't just be the God who delivered you from yesterday. He's got to be the God today and the God of the future. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that this chapter is little more than a repetition of what we've already covered. So we're not going to belabor any issues. In general, we're going to see a number of rules that will apply to us as parents, but in particular today, as it's Father's Day, to Father's Specifically, I've got three points to share with you this morning, and they are, number one, when times get tough, remember what he's done. Number two, when resources are thin, remember his blessing. And number three, when the future looks bleak, remember his command. Three simple points for us today, a relatively short message. We're going to get right into it. Our first point is this. When times get tough, remember what he's done. First, if you're going to be successful as a parent, if you're going to get through the tough times, whatever they may be, then you must remember what God has done. Unfortunately, we aren't given a promise in the Bible that says each and every day after you have a relationship with me, we'll get easier and easier. On the contrary, the Bible actually promises us that once we begin a relationship with Jesus Christ, that it will get harder and harder. But in addition to the increasing difficulty that we will experience in life once we are Christians, we are also given these amazing promises. For example, in, De in Matthew 28, 20, I will be with you to the end of the age. Or Hebrews 13, 5, I will never leave you or forsake you. In particular today, we are called to remember or keep the commandments of the Lord. It's a Hebrew word, shamar, that is used 65 times in Deuteronomy. And interestingly enough, in Deuteronomy 11, it's used four times just in this chapter. 11.1, 11.8, 11.16, and 11.32. You'll see that sometimes it is translated as keep, and sometimes it is translated take care of. Either way, it's the same word, and we are being drawn 
to the word of the Lord, as it's described, the commandments, the statutes, and the rules, to keep them, to take care of them. These things ought to play an important part in our life, both in our minds and in our hearts, as we live aware of the past, but orientated toward the future. It's an important command that we should be putting into practice. How can we do that? How can we keep the commandments and the statutes? Well, we can love God. We can obey God, of course. But when times get tough, and times do get tough, amen? When times get tough, we can also honor God, hear me out, by remembering what he's done. I want to share with you two aspects where this can take place. First, you can share biblical stories of what God's done. You can share biblical stories of what God's done. In this case, Moses is reminding the people of what God has already done in their lives. Moses wasn't conjuring up some story. This isn't a myth. This isn't a fable. He was sharing what we would call a biblical story one with which they were familiar. In fact, he chooses to share this story with them with his eye focused upon tomorrow because if you look at verse 7 of Deuteronomy 11, he says, your eyes have seen all the great work of the Lord that he did. Not your children. Did you get that? Moses, sort of in the ESV, they put this parenthetically, since I'm not speaking to your children because their eyes haven't seen it, your eyes have seen it, church. I need to put this upon you. You need to receive it wholeheartedly. How can you share the biblical stories of what God has done if you're a stranger to the Bible? You can't share biblical stories that you're ignorant of. You can't share biblical stories if you are unfamiliar with them. We've got to know these biblical stories. And what Moses is saying is here is your kids didn't see it. You saw it. And they're not going to know if you don't, help me out, if you don't tell them. We've got to share the biblical stories. Joe, how do we do that? You do it by taking every single opportunity that God gives to you. And if your kids say, I don't know what this is, you go, let me tell you the story of Genesis 1. Let me tell you the story of Noah. Let me tell you the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000. But how can you do that, mom or dad, if you don't know the word of God? We miss so many opportunities gospel-wise. In the course of our week, Monday to Saturday, because we're ignorant of the Bible stories. If we're going to get through rough times, we've got to remember what God has done. And the first step in doing that is sharing biblical stories. Secondly, this leads to my second point. Secondly, you can share personal stories of what God has done. Biblical stories, yes. Let me tell you what the Bible says. Let me tell you the story of what Jesus did. But in addition to that, you can share personal stories too. This is important. In the Bible, we're told that God did this or that. That's an important aspect to getting through the rough times and remembering what he's done. But beyond that, what makes an impression on people, and in particular our children, is this. Not only let me tell you what the Bible says God did, but let me tell you what God has done in my life. My life. 
We have so many of us children who are not in the church or close to the faith because we were good at the first part, but not any good at the second. We left the stories of the work of God in an objective, disconnected category rather than a subjective, personal one. Let me tell you guys something. I know because of God's inspired, inerrant word what he has done in history, but I can tell you what he's done in my life too. I want you to be able to tell those stories so that your children, as they grow up, they get across the rough times and they go, my mom and dad told me God did and God will. And that's where faith comes in, guys. Remember, Moses is not just talking to the parents. He's talking to the parents because the kids haven't seen but the kids are going to come across difficult times. I love what Psalm 66, verse 16 says. Psalm 66, verse 16 says, Come and hear all you who fear the Lord, and I will tell you what he has done for my soul. That's called testimony. Come, all you who fear the Lord, and I will tell you what he's done for my soul. Have you been able to share what God has done for your soul? Not just with people in general, but it being Father's Day, with your kids or those young people that God has placed in your sphere of influence. Church, as Christians, we've been privy to an amazing amount of teaching, information, encouragement, prayer, love, providence, and so much more. It behooves us, therefore, to remember and to teach what God has done. This Father's Day, my question is, do you have a testimony to share with your children? Do you have a testimony to share with your children? You say, well, yes, I do. My follow-up question is, do you share it? If you have a testimony and you don't share it, you're failing. You're dropping the ball. You're missing opportunities. If you say, well, I don't share because I don't have a testimony, you got to get one. If you don't have a testimony, it's because you don't know him. If you know him, you've got a testimony. Amen? It's hard to know Jesus and not have a testimony. It might not be glorious. It might not be spectacular. You might not be the strongest Christian in the church. But I can tell you, if you know Jesus, you've got a testimony. Secondly, when resources are thin, remember his blessing. First of all, when times get tough, remember what he's done. But secondly, when resources are thin, and they do get thin, remember his blessing. Church, look with me for this second point at verse 8 again. It says, You shall therefore keep the whole commandment that I command you today, that you may be strong and go in and take possession of the land that you are going over to possess, and that you may live long in the land that the Lord swore to your fathers to give to them and to their offspring, a land flowing with milk and honey. For the land that you are entering to take possession of, it is not like the land of Egypt. Can I say this real quick before I keep reading? The blessings that God has in store for you don't look like the things you wanted in the past. The things that you are co comfortable with, the things that you are familiar with, God's blessing might not look like that. 
It is not like the land of Egypt from which you have come, where you sowed your seed and irrigated it like a garden of vegetables. But the land that you are going over to possess is a land of hills and valleys. It's not flat, which drinks water by the rain from heaven. A land that the Lord your God cares for, the lies of the Lord your God are always upon it from the beginning of the year to the end of the year. We're going to spend a moment on this. First of all, what I want you to do is appreciate the context. This is the first thing that I want you to note here. I want you to appreciate the context. Israel has left Egypt, a land with which they were familiar. Ever been familiar? It's hard to leave something you're familiar with, right? Some of you are, some, well, I'm not going to say look at the person on your right-hand side because this might be your familiarity, but I want you to hear me. We have a dependency problem in our culture. We'd rather be with the wrong person than single with Jesus. And some of you young people need to hear this. You have no business in the relationship that you're in. None. God will not bless it. God cannot bless it. You need to find somebody who's in Christ or find Christ and call it a day. For those of you who are in relationships, stop playing husband-wife. Get married. For those of you who are parents, stop acting like you don't have kids. Like they're the greatest inconvenience to you in your hobbies. All of our energy and all of our effort should be going into our kids. If we don't go to bed absolutely exhausted, we're not doing it right. We should be inconvenienced. Our life should be upheaved because we've had children. And children are heritage from the Lord. That is to say, it's not about you. It's about that child that God has entrusted to you. It's his child, not yours. You're a steward. You're a manager. And managers must prove faithful. How are you, not with the familiar, but with the unfamiliar? Not with what you do well, but with, but what, with what you don't do well, but by God's strength you are determined to do well. I want you to appreciate the context. Israel's left Egypt. They're completely familiar with this, but God is taking them somewhere that they're completely unfamiliar with. They've descended upon the promised land, God's gift, yes, but a strange land nevertheless. I I, I just, I feel like I need to come around again and say this again. Okay. Do not forsake and rebel the Lord's blessing because it's strange. We could use a little strange. Some of you need a little strange. Some of you are what we call in my house control freaks. And you are completely content with God's blessing as long as it looks like what you planned, sounds like what you planned, walks like what you planned, costs what you planned. But you answer to God. God doesn't answer to you. And not only is that the case, but God is in control sovereignly of this situation because God knows what this will lead to, and you don't. We see one step ahead of us, and God sees eternity. It's a strange land, but this is where God's leading them. And he's leading them there by faith because he's saying it's a land flowing with milk and honey. In other words, it's rich. I wonder how many of us can attest to that feeling. God leading us in a direction 
that we are completely unfamiliar with. It might be his parents. It might be a new job in a field that we're unfamiliar with, but God's opened doors of opportunity, and we have felt his conviction and affirmation that this is the direction that we are to go. It might be changing churches. It might be a myriad of things that happen in the course of your life, and the reason this is important, church, is this reason. God is not only in charge of the big things. God's in charge of the little things, too. Remember the context. In any case, Egypt is where they used to be and where they're going is different. How is it different? Well, Egypt was a land that was irrigated from the ground. If it wasn't near the Nile River, then they had to do an irrigation system in order to get crops to grow in the desert areas that were removed from the Nile River. The Hebrew slaves did all of this work. It was hard work. But the land that God was giving them was not irrigated from the ground. It was irrigated from the sky. And who's in charge of the sky? See what I'm saying? I'm going to take you someplace unfamiliar. I don't want to go where I'm unfamiliar. It doesn't matter. This is the land that I promised to your forefathers, and this is the land I'm giving you. Okay, we'll go. Oh, by the way, nothing's going to grow unless I send the rain. Don't forget that. You ever have moments like that where, where, where you are dealing with the difficulty of thin resources and, and, and you've got to remember God's blessing because you're facing thin resources, but God has got you in that position, that particular position where your resources are thin because it's the only time you pray. When things are good, you don't pray less, you read less, you go to church less. Things are good. I'm going to go out on the boat. I'm going to cut the backyard because I was too lazy to do it all on Saturday and get to church on Sunday. You name it. We, we conjure up excuses to not walk in obedience to the Lord when the reality of the matter is that thinness that we experience in our resources sometimes is the means by which God gets our stubborn attention. We've got to remember that the placement that God gives us is not the only blessing. The sustenance is the blessing too, amen? It's not only the placement. It's the sustenance as well. He says, this land that I'm giving you, it's sustained by the rain that I will also give you. I love how he concludes, Moses, this verse 12. He says, God watches this land. He loves this land. Can I tell you something, guys? I know I'm spiritualizing a little bit here, but do you know God loves your house? When God looks upon your house, he looks upon it with favor. That's what grace is. He looks upon your family, and he looks upon your house with favor. He loves your house. He wants to bless your house. It doesn't matter if it's a condo and a duplex, an apartment. It doesn't matter. What matters is that you have given that house to Jesus. And you have said, this is your place, not mine. And as long as I live here, I pray that you would give me your blessing. And not only is it a blessing that God can give, not only is it a blessing that God wants to give, he looks with favor upon the land, but look how often he looks at the land. It says, 
The eyes of the Lord your God are always upon it. How often? Always. You know, when we get in those moments and we're like, where are you, God? God's I'm looking at you right now. I'm looking at you right now. God's eyes are always upon it. How often? From the beginning of the year to the end of the year, which when we get into the latter prophets, he says things like, I'll give you the latter and the former rains, which is to say, I'll, when the rainy season comes, I'll start it early and I'll let it run a little late. You know what that means? That means an abundance in their crops. Isn't it nice when God blesses us that way? We work hard for our money, as we ought to. But God can take whatever money we have and do great things with it. God can take our work ethic and set it up so that it disposes us for greater opportunities. God can bless us however he wants, and he often does. First of all, appreciate that context. But secondly, this leads me to this point. Appreciate the principle. Our relationship with God, our covenant with God, isn't based on our merit. This is all grace. We have a relationship with him through faith in the fact that he is gracious. But it's foolishness to say that certain blessings aren't afforded to us as we walk in humble obedience to the commandments of our God. And yet, some do not. The reality of the matter is we focus sometimes so much on God's grace and his blessing in our life outside of our ability to afford it that we forget God has told us I will bless you if. You see what I mean? There are people who don't deserve it, but they get it. Ugh, I hate when that happens. And there are people who are working, man. They're hustling. They're doing the best that they can for their family and their kids and their bills and everything else. And God is not disposed to just hand it to them. And we can't explain every single aspect of his providence, why he works some ways in some people's lives and some ways in other people's lives. But I can tell you this, as a general principle, I can tell you this, God is not going to richly bless you if you're disobedient, hard-hearted, and faithless. Maybe you've asked, like Job did many years ago, why do the wicked live, reach old age, and grow mighty in power? Maybe you've asked like the psalmist asked in Psalm 73, 12, Behold, why do the wicked increase in riches? It may appear that the blessing of the Lord has fallen from heaven, sure, but on the wrong people. You've ever been there when you're like pointing at you? What? No, me, not them. Why them? I'm here to tell you, church, that God doesn't forsake his people. God does not forsake his people, and he will always provide for them. Miraculously, providentially, practically, through employment opportunities, or maybe even through the fellowship of the church. Somehow, some way, we must remember that God does not suffer the righteous to be moved. 
I have been young, and now I am old, the psalmist says in Psalm 37, and I have never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. That's a principle. That's a fact. Church, keep his word. Keep his statutes. Keep his commandments. Love God and love others, and God will always be faithful to you, to bless you and to keep you, to rain down from heaven upon you, and to keep his eye upon your home. When times get tough, remember what he's done. When resources are thin, remember his blessing. And thirdly, when the future looks bleak, remember his command. Remember his command. This might seem unusual, but let me tell it to you like this. The word of God provides the consistency that assures us of a blessed future. Let me say that again. The word of God provides the consistency that assures us of a blessed future. In other words, as I grow and pass it down to the next generation, I'm not passing down a different method. I'm passing down the biblical method. I'm not saying, uh, well, this is what I did, but you need to figure out what's right for your life. Oh, my gosh. Well, every time I hear parents do that, I wanted them to figure out, no, no. You raise them biblically. You teach them biblical principles. When they have a question about life, you don't go, I don't know. Let's look it up on Google. You've got to know the biblical standard. You've got to know the biblical expectation and criteria so that you can share what God has done biblically and you can share what God has done experientially. That's how we ensure our future. Verses 18 and 19, look at them with me. Verses 18 and 19 say, You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes, which is like a headband. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you're walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. I think that you can see that there's a consistency of discussion here. We talk about God's word all the time. Not sometimes, not on Sunday, all the time. God's word is the anchor that keeps us steady in the storms of life. We don't do it occasionally. We don't do it when times get rough. We do it all the time. The word of God is to be our standard. The future of our families, of our church, of our country, the future is in the hands of of our children and our grandchildren. Now, if you look across our country, it should strike you with a great amount of terror and fear to know that that's the truth. But my hope is that we won't be struck with the same amount of fear when we look across the church. They will only possess in their hands what we pass down to them. Our children will only possess 
what we pass down to them. If we want to see the positive outcomes, then we have to prepare them and equip them to accomplish what's necessary for that success. And that is the word of God. Verse 25, jump down to the end there. Verse 25 says, No one shall be able to stand against you. The Lord your God will lay the fear of you and the dread of you on all the land that you shall tread. Now listen, I know this is a promise made specifically to Israel as they enter the promised land and come face to face with their enemies and fight them off so that they can inherit the land that God has given to them. But at the same time, the God who is speaking is our God too. Amen? And Israel is not only his people, we are his people by virtue of Jesus too. Amen? We have spent so much time celebrating today the virtue of humility that we have neglected the virtues of courage, of honor, and of strength. And we are facing the consequences of that lack of celebration today. We've got so many humble Christians, nobody will fight a good fight anymore. They're winsome and glad and soft and weak. Amen. Thank you, Joshua. Good timing. From the mouths of babes. <laughs> we see these qualities in Jesus, church. Before the arrest and crucifixion, yes, Jesus was humble under the will of God. If there is another way, Father, let this cup pass. Nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He was humble. Amen? Jesus was humble under the will of God. But listen, he had to be strong to take that beating. He was honorable in that when he started taking those lashes and he was being mocked and ridiculed, he didn't change course. And he had to be courageous enough to do it in the first place. Oh, we play one side of Jesus so often that it excuses our weakness. But may God make strong men in this church. May we be fathers who are exemplary, not only to each other, but in our community and in this country. That people would look at this church and go, I don't know what the men are doing over there at Cutler Ridge. But they love their wives. They love each other. They love Jesus, and they're not scared of a good fight. We are in a place today when the promise that God has given his people so many years ago is a promise that we need to realize and appreciate with two hands, grabbing onto it and keeping it close. We know we know how to apologize and give way and tolerate, which is a pejorative term. But can we stand the ground that God has blessed us with? Can we defend our faith? Can we represent the faith that has been once and for all 
delivered to the saints without apology, with a backbone, with some honor and some courage. To close, I've said plenty, I think, to think about. Remember what he's done. Remember his blessing. And remember his command. But I want to end with an exhortation to you young people. Here's the exhortation. It's a quote. It is a privilege to be brought up in the midst of a godly father and mother. And to be brought up in the midst of many prayers. It is a blessed thing indeed to be taught the gospel from our earliest years. And to hear of sin and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and holiness and heaven. From the first moment we can remember anything. But take heed that you do not remain barren and unfruitful in the sunshine of all of these privileges. Beware lest your heart remains hard, impenitent, and worldly, and notwithstanding the many privileges that you've enjoyed. You can't enter the kingdom of God on the credit of your parents' religion. Mom and Dad, my prayer for us is that we would be known by the fruit of our children. My prayer for us is that we would see that strength, honor, and courage in the constitution of our children. So that people will say, I wonder what kind of Christian they are. Let me look at their kids and I'll tell you. That's my prayer for us. My prayer is that our faith, so to speak, will be justified by the legacy that we have left our children and the future that we have guaranteed because we've remembered what he's done, we've remembered his blessing, and we've remembered his command. Amen.